0: also like to tell people that if someone came to you with a dream and said what should I do would you encourage them to pursue it because if you would then you need to encourage yourself in the same way start writing it down Hey there this is angie morgan wikowski
1: i'm the new york times best-selling author of spark and bet on you i'm a marine veteran and i get to be your host of this bet on you radio program today's guest is a really dear friend of mine very special very accomplished and she is here to share with us how a crazy idea that you're concocting in your mind you're scribbling down on a spiral notebook could actually change the world. And that is exactly what Wendy Steele has done through her model that she created way back in the early 2000s on how to give. Think about that for a second. Crazy idea. You know, who am I to start this type of business? I'm not a nonprofit leader, but I do have this idea that if I had some courage, if I had some confidence, if I had a little bit of moxie, I could change the world with. So stay tuned for Wendy's story. think about business ownership but there's also this concept of business model like what type of organization do you actually want to be and wendy is again founder ceo of this amazing nonprofit organization but before we get into that wendy i want to hear about your story so thank you so much for being on the bet on you
0: program thank you angie i'm happy to be here
1: can you share with our audience just little snippets
0: of your background you have such an impressive career history that's a really nice way of saying it has not been a straight line so i graduated from college with an economics degree and immediately went into the banking business i was a private banker for about 20 years with the, my last role culminating as senior vice president regional manager of a regional mid bank during that time however and really from the time i was a little girl I grew up giving back to the community. It has always been a really important part of my life. And so alongside my banking career, I served on boards of nonprofits, I volunteered in a number of ways and stayed involved. In the summer of 2001, after moving to Cincinnati, I founded and created the Impact 100 model that you alluded to in the introduction. The idea then was I'd moved to this community, and again, with being a banker, understanding the economics, Cincinnati is a place where the cost of living is low and there are high paying jobs. So I was stumped by the fact that so many women I met weren't involved in the community in any way. The only plausible explanation I could come up with were economics, but that wasn't it. And so it was really trying to work through What were the barriers that women saw that kept them from being involved in the community? That's how I came up with Impact 100. From there, I managed that a little bit alongside of a paying day job until about 2015 when I founded Impact 100 Global. The demand from existing chapters for coaching and help on how to fully execute the model, as well as communities around the globe raising their hand wanting to bring this model into their local area was too big a draw. And I couldn't keep up with a day job and Impact 100. And I chose Impact. And I've been doing that ever since.
1: You are pretty much known for creating this concept of giving circles. I would love to, like, take me back because we think about, you were talking about, you know, seeing women engage in their community. And I think as a mom, you know, I see women engage in communities all the time but at a really small kind of personal level whether it's creating a senior night party or bake sale coordinator or you know volunteer at the church nursery you know women do give but tell us about the opportunity that you saw where women could have greater impact
0: you're absolutely right you know historically if think about the united states and how we grew up as a country community service and giving back has always been a piece of it but Until recently, women didn't have a lot of career options. We stayed home, we raised the kids, and once the kids got into school and we had a little spare time, that's how we gave back. Well, fast forward to 2001, generations of women by that point had been working outside the home, and yet our philanthropy hadn't kept pace. So when I looked at it, I thought as a banker, what if I could engage women in their local communities? And what if they could design their own experience, meaning they could choose how much time they wanted to spend out doing this work? So the Impact 100 model is simple. You gather at least 100 women in a local community who each donate $1,000, pool 100% of that money, offer it right back to the local community in grants of $100,000 or more, funding across five broad focus areas. So Impact 100 is not necessarily women funding women and girls. It's really women funding local communities. In 2001, that was a concept that was brand new. And I was not a likely founder. As a private banker, mother of three little kids, This I didn't have the pedigree. So it was something that was brand new. And part of what I did that I'm sure your listeners and, and viewers would understand is I'm pretty clear on knowing my strengths and knowing the areas of weakness, and so one of the very first things I did is gather a strong team of diverse women who knew things I didn't know, who were going to truly get it done, but who would also push back with respect and debate, question me in these ideas. The reason for that was, if I surround myself with a bunch of women who would nod and smile to everything I said, we wouldn't have gotten very far. Having strong, respectful, but strong women to be able to push back and challenge ideas. It, in many cases, confirmed that my idea was correct, but occasionally it caused a little shift in strategy.
1: That is wonderful. And I think about just that aha moment. Like, wait, we can give our time here, $100 here, And we could barely, you know, really move a dent in organization. But what if we could connect women who have the desire to give, urge them to give a little bit more, pool our resources, you can transform an organization with a gift of $100,000. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. When did you have that moment like, wow, this is something. There is something here that nobody else is doing that I could do and... Also too, I'd love to to hear about when you decided like this could be a nonprofit, this could be a resource. Can you talk about that?
0: Well, it was actually during the summer of 2001, I was on vacation in Northern Michigan, but I lived in Cincinnati at the time. I believe that whether it's a new product, a new company, a new service, if there's a problem that's bothering you and you can't seem to get it out of your mind, it probably means you have a role in solving that problem. And that's how I felt that summer. I couldn't let go what I'd heard from women about why they weren't involved, nor could I let go the constant desire from the nonprofit boards I sat on for larger, more significant grants. At that point, I started to problem solve. So literally, with a spiral notebook, I wrote down every barrier, every objection I'd heard from women, alongside what nonprofits had said about needing larger, more transformational grants. And when I was finished, what was on the page is what we now know as Impact 100. So simple and so powerful, I couldn't believe it didn't already exist. Or I thought maybe I was missing something. So that summer, I called expert friends I had in Cincinnati and said, tell me if I'm crazy, tell me what's wrong with this. And if there is nothing wrong, we should do something to make it happen. So once I had designed the solution, I knew I was going to be a part of building it as a nonprofit.
1: <laughs> I was thinking in my mind as you were talking, it's like you're discovering gold and you're looking around like, does anybody see this? Like, you're like sitting at an idea that was like, oh my gosh, exactly, <laughs> I struck gold here.
0: And I was an unlikely person to do that for all the reasons I've said. So it was like, okay, I, I do sometimes think being an outsider is a superpower. You see things people don't see and you imagine what's possible, And although I had done some volunteer work, I'd been involved in the community, I was clearly an outsider to doing something as big and bold as this. And I needed a little bit of a gut check. Um, Once I got that, it was full steam ahead. And I
1: love that you're highlighting this outsider advantage. How often has that been a superpower of yours? Like, because I know very little about this, I could probably be the perfect person to actually embark on this.
0: Right, and it happens all the time. Sometimes when we're so deep in the weeds, we don't see the garden. And in this case, I was able to see the garden. I had listened closely to this notion that women had of what you alluded to a moment ago, which is I can donate $50 here, $100 here. I don't know where the money goes, how much of it actually goes to the because don't know when it gets spent, don't have any sense that I've made a difference. So by taking a nice round $1,000, that's a stop and think gift. Even someone who's really wealthy, if you ask them for $1,000, they're gonna hesitate for that second. They're gonna think about, whether or not they're ready. And it is in that connection to that thousand dollars where the magic happens. Because if you're connected to your donation, whether you choose to get involved or not in the process, you will be connected to the hundred thousand dollars and to the ultimate millions of dollars that have been given away. And that's what we want because when you are connected emotionally to your gift, you're a part of something so much bigger. And that stickiness, that engagement, that connection will last.
1: I'd love to hear. You're talking about these early stages of creating your organization. You know, maybe wondering, well, what's it going to take for me to do this? What are some of the key
0: milestones along your journey to today? Well, there were several key milestones. So I had the concept in the summer of 2001, and I had called a couple of key people back in Cincinnati. I left Northern Michigan and my vacation, brought the kids back to Cincinnati, got everyone in school with the notion that we were going to move ahead. Well, 9-11 happened that September. Mm -hmm. The kids had barely been back in school and everything changed. I had moved to Cincinnati from the East Coast. I had friends in those cities. And like the rest of the country, this was a This was a devastating moment of vulnerability, of destruction, of evil. And it really, I think, knocked us back for a minute. Speaking personally, I felt very knocked back for probably a couple of minutes. And I would say it was that surprise, that vulnerability that caused me to hesitate. Is this thing I'm trying to do, does it make sense anymore? Is it the right idea at the right time? And so after a lot of my own soul searching and just sort of moving on, I called together the initial board and on October 25th in 2001, what they may not have realized, but this was my go or no go. I had invited 15 women to serve on that initial board. And in my mind, if 10 of them were not ready to move forward, I would not have proceeded. Well, all 15. We're ready to go. (laughs) We then filed our nonprofit status. We received it in March, and we were gonna try and find 100 women to write a check for $1,000. We had set our deadline for our membership of May. In my mind, if a community like Cincinnati, Ohio could not produce 100 women willing to make a $1,000 donation, I probably would have pulled the plug. This was another one of those Go, no go, we got 123 women. From there, we got 114 grant applications from nonprofits in the greater Cincinnati area, and we vetted them down to one finalist in each category, gave away our first grant. Now, during this time, we had tried to get PR, we had tried to get the news to tell our story without success. All along, in my mind, I was creating this thing for a very particular group of women in a particular city. When my home phone rang and it was People Magazine calling, saying they wanted to write a story, I actually thought it was a prank call. And it turned out not to be. After that story hit the news stands in January of 2003, I got flooded with calls and emails from women and some men around the country and beyond saying, this is so simple, this is so powerful. I wanna bring Impact 100 to my community. Will you sell me a franchise? Will you license me your model? Well, this was a huge milestone and completely unexpected. However, I created Impact 100 to remove barriers so that more women would be involved in the community. Because I know that when we shift from being worried about our community to actually being a part of the solution, things change. So in that moment, I had to decide, am I gonna charge for this? Am I somehow gonna enrich myself to do help other people do well in their community? The answer was a pretty quick and firm no, and it has stayed there ever since. So at that moment, I started to give the Impact 100 model away to anyone who asked so that they could launch it in their own community. It started to grow in the United States about 2012, 2013. An Australian researcher learned about it and brought it to Australia and it has continued to grow every year locally and globally since that day. And how many chapters? How many countries? 68 chapters,
1: four countries and growing. And in our little community of Traverse City, I know that we have 300 plus women. We give away. And again, this is a small northern Michigan community that we're able to get 300 women to collect $1,000 and give three grants, so Isn't
0: it's amazing. It is amazing. Amazing even further when you know that little Traverse City, Michigan still holds the distinction of having the largest first year launch. So we started with 123 members back in Cincinnati. Traverse City, Michigan launched in 2017 with 255 women from right here in this local community.
1: Blows my mind. And I bet it blows yours. And that's probably the inspiration for you wanting to share the story of giving and write your book. Talk a little bit about your book. It's fantastic. I read it in draft form and it was... Just a delight to learn more about you as a human and where
0: you're coming from in this abundance mindset. So yeah, oh, talk about Invitation yeah, to Impact. Thank you. So it's part memoir, part story of Impact 100, and part sort of general guidance for giving back. So part of the reason that I wrote it is to elevate the brand. Really, Impact 100 is the most powerful women's giving movement anywhere, and yet it's largely unknown. So the work that's happening in local chapters around the globe is important and should be celebrated. So that was one reason. The other reason is that often as women, you'll read statistics that women won't apply for a job unless they meet 100% of the criteria, where men would apply for the same job if they only have meeting 60% of the criteria. We often look at other women in particular, and we think, oh, I could never do what she does. Look how she has everything all together. She must've you know, just had this natural progression and look where she is now. So part of the invitation to impact story is demystifying that to say, you know what? I did make mistakes along the way. There were bumps in the road. I wasn't a logical founder. and..." that in all of that, their success, and their success in part because it was a good idea, in part because I worked like crazy and still do to make sure that people understand the value that they already hold. And so this idea of being able to tell the story to hopefully encourage women to see their own value, to press on even when it's hard and to understand that comparing our personal blooper reel with somebody else's highlight reel is never a good idea.
1: (laughs) I never heard it say that, but that is like the best. I've been speaking a lot to women's organizations and just having them say, you know what, what if the statement, why not me, wasn't ended with a question mark? Like, why not me? Like like about doubt or uncertainty. What if it was, why not me, period? Or maybe sometimes exclamation point. I would love for you, like our listeners, as you're hearing Wendy's story, I'm hoping that you're getting inspired to just go out there and start something. But could you talk a little bit about this? Offer our audience some words of encouragement. Why should someone pursue their dreams? Whether it's a business or a nonprofit, or if they have an idea, what's the value in that pursuit?
0: Oh my gosh, the value... there are so many ways I could answer that because the value is just that big. Part of it is, it's a lesson to trust your own intuition, to trust your own thought process. If you're not pursuing your dream, why are you devaluing it is kind of where it comes down. I also like to tell people that if someone came to you with a dream and said, what should I do? Would you encourage them to pursue it because if you would, then you need to encourage yourself in the same way. Start writing it down. If you have a dream, this is not a quit your day job and go run after it. This is a keep doing what you're doing, but explore what would that dream look like and get start as big as you possibly can I wanna create something that will do and fill in the blank as expansively as possible. But then back it down and say, but what would it look like? What would it look like to start? What would it look like to, as your book, Bet On You says, how can I bet on this, this dream? How can I bet on this idea? Not the big bets that end up crashing, but the everyday bets of, I could engage with one person, I could start here, I could write a business plan, I could. And when you when you do start to realize this notion of why not me, you then give yourself permission to start to build whatever it is. Your dream may stay the same, it may grow exponentially once you start focusing on it, but whatever it is, it's worth it pursuing if it's in your head and it's in your heart it is worth pursuing. I love that. And
1: final question Wendy, and this is kind of an interesting take on it. Why shouldn't someone start a nonprofit? Can you complete that sentence? Don't start a nonprofit
0: if. Don't start a nonprofit if you haven't done your homework. There's so much redundancy in the world of nonprofits. Where we have multiple organizations trying to solve the same problem. So don't solve a problem if another organization is already solving it. Collaborate with them, help them, work with them. Don't start a nonprofit if you don't have a strong stomach because, <laughs> like every entrepreneurial venture, it's you're you're kind of out there on a tightrope trying to make something happen. And there will be really hard days. There will be really challenging days and where you're gonna have to pick yourself back up. And if you don't feel like you can do that, don't start a nonprofit. When we talk about nonprofits, it's different than saying don't start a for-profit business in some key ways because the economics work differently in the nonprofit world. So if you have an idea that would be better housed in an existing nonprofit or for-profit organization, don't start a nonprofit. If you don't have a clear picture of the complexity of the problem you're solving with your solution, don't start a nonprofit until you know what that full complexity is and where you fit in. That is great. Thank you, Wendy, for your time, your
1: talents, and the work that you're doing. I really value this conversation. Thank you, Angie. As always, it's good to be with you. I love the question, what can one person do to change a community, to change someone's life, to change the world? I mean, we've seen these examples all over the place. So really, why not you? why can't you take your idea and think about the change and impact you want to make it somebody's got to do it so why not you wendy's conversation was so impactful for me i'm going to say that word impact like many times again impact 100 the three things though that i took away from it was if there is a problem to solve and you have a unique approach to it why not you just spend some time reflecting putting some thoughts down. You could on paper just create the solution that yeah, maybe the experts have overlooked. The second is no experience can sometimes be a great thing because it's not like you don't have any experience. You've got the experience that you've been acquiring throughout your life, so lean into that. There is such a thing as a beginner's advantage. You're approaching a problem with a unique perspective and asking questions that people entrenched into some of the solutions or solutions discoveries that they might not be asking. So you have value with your fresh perspective. The final thing that I'm taking away, and I'm gonna use this, sorry Wendy, I'm gonna steal it because it's such great guidance, but I'll you know, start attributing it to you, don't worry, is don't compare your blooper reel to someone's highlight reel. How often do we do that? And that can breed insecurity. So think about your highlight reel. Comparison is a terrible thing. Focus on you, your talents, and your gifts and continuously strive to bet on you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode.